The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Exciting news out of Japan. Well, at least for me, that is. In Japan, the government there says they're now going to start requiring all Japanese high schools to start teaching personal finance beginning next year. Nikkei, the major Japanese business newspaper, kind of like the Wall Street Journal here in America, published a story on the news, and the newspaper selected five books that they say will be helpful for high school students to learn about money. And one of the five books they cited was The Truth About Money. I'm very excited about that. The book had a gleaming review supporting the book, and the book immediately sold out on Amazon Japan. So I'm really excited about that. And hey, did you see the Wall Street Journal? Speaking of them this past week, they just published their list of the world's most influential business leaders. And there, among the several hundred names, is me, Rick Edelman. Wait, wait, wait. Hang, <clears throat> hang on a second. Wait just a minute. That's not me. That's Richard Edelman of Edelman Public Relations. Missed it by that much. Oh, well, I'll have to try a little harder. Hey, speaking of trying a little harder, how are you doing with dinner tonight? Are you getting kind of fed up of cooking at home because you're always at home in the pandemic? Are you fed up with ordering out or even going to pick up food from a restaurant and bringing it home? Well, this is a very common issue, and it has now got its own name. It's called fending. I'm presuming it comes from fending for yourself. You don't want to cook. You don't want to order out. So what do you do? You scavenge the fridge. And is that what you find yourself doing sometimes? You open those refrigerator doors, and you just peer inside, seeing what's there. It's got a lot of names. Ketcheroni, Eek, Having Weirds, Going Darwin. California plate, spa plate, mustard with crackers, goblin meal, gishing, piwa diddly, picky poke, trash panda, rags and bottles, black cow night, blackout bingo, miff muffer moot, anarchy kitchen, I kind of like that one, moosh gooey, fossick, going feral, that's fun too, goo gots, oogle moogle, you getsy, which is I guess means you get whatever's there. Dirt Night, Mousy Mousy, and one of my favorites, If It's, as in, if it's in the refrigerator, you get to eat it. There are also some acronyms people are creating to basically say whatever's in the cabinets you get to get, Oyo, on your own, Yo-Yo, you're on your own, Mayo, make your own, and Fifi, find it and fix it. And ultimately, the acronym CORE, clean out refrigerator of everything. So the fact that you have all of these names 
illustrates that an awful lot of folks are feeling exactly as you are, which is a reminder that too often we find ourselves in all this mess all together. Let me shift over to the other side of the equation. Not wanting to spend money on dinner? Well, let's look at the other extreme in a little more sober light. Impulse purchases, out-of-control spending. Have you observed those behaviors by anyone in your family, particularly elders? According to new scientific research, those two behaviors can be early signs of Alzheimer's disease. Are boxes arriving with stuff you don't remember buying? Alzheimer's disease equals memory loss. We all know that forgetfulness, not being able to remember, that's a classic symptom of Alzheimer's disease or dementia. But long before memory loss comes loss of organizational skills and loss of self-control. Executive functioning skills like planning and problem solving, judgment, the ability to understand context, You need to pay attention to what your parents are buying. In the study being released by the magazine Health Economics, during early-stage Alzheimer's, people are 27% more likely to experience a large decline in their assets because of impulsive spending, out-of-control buying. The Journal of the American Medical Association's publication, Internal Medicine, has just produced a study of 80,000 people, and they found that those with Alzheimer's begin to fail paying their bills up to six years before they're diagnosed. The researchers also noted that people who have dementia began to show subprime credit scores two and a half years before their dementia was diagnosed. So, Take a look at your credit score. Take a look at all the boxes that are showing up on your doorstep. Take a look at your parents' situation. Because impulsive purchases, out-of-control spending, a decline in net worth, a decline in credit scores, these could all be early indications of mental health issues. Let me shift our conversation now to the world of investing. Tim Holland at Brinker Capital has just said something that you might think is outrageous if you hadn't heard what I said a couple of weeks ago on the show. Tim Holland now says that by the year 2042, that's, you know, roughly 20 years from now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is currently around 33,000, will be nearly 150,000. From 30,000 to 150, that's a five-fold increase in just the next 20 years, a 500% gain. Does that sound outrageous to you? Well, not if you heard what I said a couple of weeks ago when I said that by the end of this decade, the Dow, I said, would be 80,000. Are these truly outlandish? Tim's prediction is actually less outlandish than mine. He's recognizing that since 2000, go back the last 21 years, the Dow's average annual return is 7.3%. He says if we simply replicate that for the next 21 years, that'll put the Dow at 148,000. Now, I'd go a one step better on the simple premise that since 1926, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has been averaging 10% a year, not just 7.3. So if you get a 10% Dow, more reflective of the last 100 years than the last 21, 
you'll have even more than 150,000 Dow by 2042. Pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? And in fact, over the last 13 weeks, the Dow Jones Transportation Average, an index of the country's transportation stocks, airlines, automotive, etc., 13 consecutive weeks of gains, the longest winning streak since 1899. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? <laughs> Indeed, there's no bear market in sight. The Dow fell last year 34% at the start of COVID, but then it quickly recovered, hitting a new high in just 126 days. That was the fastest recovery ever. It usually takes the stock market three years after a market crash to get back to where you were. We did it in just 126 trading days. And do you think that we're going to have another market crash anytime soon? Only 4% of investors say that that's likely over the next year, likely for a 30% decline. Only 4%. In other words, 96% of investors say that's not going to happen. And those investors have an average of 70% of their money in stocks, the highest allocation in years. And in fact, individual investors now have 41% of their assets in stocks. That's the highest allocation since 1952. Clearly, there's a huge amount of investor enthusiasm. As volatility goes down, which is what we've been experiencing since last May, enthusiasm goes up. This year alone, the S&P 500 has hit 25 records. Peak after peak after peak. Some people argue it's not just enthusiasm for the stock market. It's the fact that there really aren't very many alternatives. Interest rates are so very low, the 10-year Treasury is offering just 1.5%. So who wants to go put their money there? And banks are equally low in interest rates. So some people are saying stocks are pretty much the only game in town. We're going to talk more about what's going on in the marketplace and what might be ahead for the stock market. So stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We just finished talking about the fact that the stock market's at an all-time high, and so is investor enthusiasm. And the S&P 500, 25 records so far this year, but take a deeper look at the composition of the S&P 500. 500 stocks representing the biggest companies in America ranked by size. And the S&P's makeup is what's called market cap weighted, meaning the amount of money in the number one stock is a whole lot more than the amount of money that goes into the number 500 stock. If you were building an index fund based on the S&P 500, take a look at the top five stocks. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Microsoft, they now comprise 25% of the weighting of the entire S&P 500. That's pretty astonishing. And 
Let's shift over for a moment to the chip crisis going on, and we'll return to those five stocks. The chip crisis I'm sure you've heard about, computer chips, that is, not potato chips. There's a shortage of these chips, and it's affecting first the automotive industry, but now it's spilling far beyond that because so many consumer products have computer chips embedded in them. Automobile manufacturers have had to reduce and sometimes completely stop their manufacturing because of an absence of these chips. Now it's affecting home appliances, heavy equipment, computer servers, even freight operators and retailers are being affected because if the manufacturers can't make the products, there's nothing to ship to the retailers and there's nothing for the retailers to sell. All of this scarcity is translating into higher prices, delays in delivery, empty store shelves. It started, of course, when the automakers underestimated the demand for new cars. They said with the pandemic, everybody's at home, nobody's going to buy cars. They reduced the number of chips they were ordering from the chip makers. Well, when the pandemic proved to be short-lived, economically at least, they increased their orders, pushing other industries out of the way. The chip makers now, they can't keep up. Demand is rising, supply is falling, and as a result, prices are going up and we're starting to see panic buying. The problem is projected to last all year. And who says they're being hurt by this? Both Microsoft and Apple. Two of the five stocks that comprise 25% of the S&P 500. There's another area of some concern in the marketplace, and that is the amount of money that has been invested in IPOs, initial public offerings, since the start of last year. $230 billion has been invested in IPOs. Half of that money has gone to SPACs. SPACs, what's that? A special purpose acquisition company. How does that work? A bunch of investors raise money and they form a public company. This company is a shell. It has no business activities, no operations. Their goal is to go buy a company that's currently private and absorb it into their public shell, turning that private company into a public company. They've got two years to pull this off, and if they fail, they've got to return the money to their investors. So SPACs are in a hurry to raise money and find a company to go buy. Since 2000, 41 SPACs have been created. Only three of them are trading anywhere near their all-time highs. 18 of them are down more than 50%. Several are down 80%. The average return for these SPACs, a negative 40%. It's what they call a blank check company. Would you put your money into an investment where you have no idea what that investment is? That's what a SPAC does. And now we have a different trend within SPACs. Guess who's getting involved? Shaquille O'Neal, Martha Stewart, Sammy Hagar, Alex Rodriguez, celebrities, people with no Wall Street expertise or experience. They're using their celebrity to attract investors to buying into the SPAC. The SEC has issued an investor alert about this warning that celebrity involvement in a SPAC does not have any economic value, and the SEC warns about, quote, the potential for baseless hype. I'll tell you who the big winners are, the people who create the SPACs. 
They give themselves 20% of the shares, but they generally don't have to pay for them. And that's why the celebrities are getting involved. They get a lot of publicity and a great opportunity for themselves to make a lot of money on the backs of the hapless investors who buy those SPACs. There's another way that investors are getting involved in the marketplace these days, the outfit Robinhood. You can do a trade on Robinhood in seconds with your phone. It's a free app, and the trading is free. But if you have a problem, according to the Wall Street Journal, getting it fixed can take weeks. The journal reports of Robinhood locking customers' accounts for more than a month, denying them access to their money. The app is the number one downloaded app nine times this year, according to Apple. And it's creating a service nightmare. Dozens of customer lawsuits, inquiries from regulators. Robinhood says they're planning their own IPO because they've opened more new accounts in the past year than any other discount broker. But meanwhile, they have the lowest customer approval ratings. Is this growing pains of a new upstart, fast-growing company? Or is it a company that just doesn't get it? You'll have to make that decision yourself. Meanwhile, the more routine, traditional methodologies of investing, popular mutual funds, well, mutual funds are shrinking at the fastest pace in 20 years. There are now only 9,000 mutual funds, the lowest level since 2013. More than 600 of them went away last year alone, the most in a single year since 2009. And only 268 new mutual funds were launched last year, the lowest since the 1990s. Why are mutual funds on the way out? Well, for the reasons I articulated in my New York Times bestseller, The Lies About Money, mutual funds have a lot of problems, not least of which is the fact that they tend to be relatively expensive compared to alternative investment opportunities, and the prices trade only once a day. When you put your money into a mutual fund, you don't know until after the market closes that day the price you got for your shares. Why would you want to do that when you can instead buy an exchange-traded fund? A relative newcomer into the marketplace, they've been around now 20, 25 years or so, that use technology to allow them to trade in real time throughout the day, just like stocks do, and they're less expensive than the vast majority of mutual funds. And that's why money is pouring into ETFs just as it's leaving the mutual fund world. In fact, last year, over 300 new ETFs came onto the market, a record. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. I like to bring you information, the latest in the innovations from the world of exponential technologies. One of the most important focuses is on computer technology. We're getting chips about as fast as possible, and there are scientists who are worried that computer speeds are not going to accelerate very much because the chips are about as fast as they can be for all kinds of technological reasons. Well, there may be an opening soon on the horizon. It's called quantum computing. And according to a set of research just released from Goldman Sachs, quantum computing could arrive as early as within the next five years. Who's at the leading edge of this research? Banks. Banks? Why would banks be interested in quantum computing? It's because they struggle to price complex derivatives, Right now, to get a quote over the phone takes hours. You'll be able to do it with a quantum computer in real time. 
So it's not astronomy, not medicine, not the military. It's Wall Street who's interested in quantum computing. In the field of robotics, Boston Dynamics has a new robot it calls Stretch. It's a crane on wheels, can lift 50 pounds. Its arm can rotate, grip, and move 800 boxes an hour. Perfect for a warehouse. Unless, of course, you're a warehouse worker. Its batteries, by the way, last eight years, and the robot is already on the market. Available for sale for companies with warehouses. And there are other aspects of robotics. This one in the air. Flying taxis are going to be in Los Angeles within the next three years. A company called Archer is making electric aircraft. The propeller is above the cabin, three propellers from two wings. It travels up to 60 miles on a single battery charge at 150 miles an hour, and its noise level is very low. United has already bought a billion dollars of these aircraft. The company expects $12 billion in revenue by the end of the decade. You know, as I mentioned to you, these conversations of innovative technologies, this is all part of exponential technologies covered in my New York Times business bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, where you'll learn about these innovations such as 3D printing, agriculture, as well as AI, robotics, 3D printing, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics, big data, fintech, edtech, all of that and more, and the personal finance implications in my New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Your Future. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricestelman.com. The author of the 2008 Personal Finance Book of the Year, The Lies About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We've been talking with you about what's going on in the stock market lately. The market's been doing great, leading to a little bit of euphoria and some troublesome signs in the marketplace as well as the euphoria leads to a little bit of silliness. A couple of weeks ago here on the program while I was away, my colleague Isabel Barrow mentioned this story. I want to give you an update to it. There's a stock out there called Hometown International. Hometown International, that sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Actually, it's a delicatessen in Paulsboro, New Jersey. This is a publicly traded company, and the deli is the sole asset of this corporation. Last year, the deli had sales of $13,976. Yeah, total sales, total revenue of fourteen grand. Well, for fun, the owner of the deli decided to list the deli on the stock market back in 2015. The stock price back in 2019 was a buck twenty-five. But last week, it was $13. The shares of this company, the market cap of this company, this tiny little delicatessen with $14,000 in annual sales is $100 million. <coughs> the deli sold a private placement last April and raised $2.5 million from investors. Who are these dumb people investing millions of dollars into a delicatessen 
that has sales of 14 grand? Among the investors are the university endowments of Duke University and Vanderbilt University. Somebody, I think, is about to get one heck of an education. And it's not just people making investments into high flyers for no apparent legitimate reason. Many are now making investments with money they don't even have. Well, say that again. How do you invest money you don't have? It's called borrowing. You borrow the money and then you invest the money that you've borrowed. It's called buying on margin. You put money into a brokerage account, say you put in $100,000. The brokerage firm will lend you up to $50,000. That's the federal limit. You can borrow up to 50% of the value of your account. So you invest $100,000, you can go buy $150,000 worth of stocks or whatever other investment you choose to go buy. You recognize the risks here, right? You not only have to pay interest on that debt, if the investment falls in value, you're going to end up owing the brokerage firm money you don't have. Investing with borrowed money is a scary proposition, and the level of margin debt in this country is now $822 billion. We're approaching a trillion That's twice as much margin debt as one year ago. Back in 2007, before the 2008 credit crisis occurred, back in 07, margin debt was equal to 3% of the entire national economy. Today, it's 4% of the national economy. The chief operating officer of Goldman Sachs calls this extraordinary level of margin debt dangerous. On the other hand, it's not dangerous at all if you think stock prices are going to keep going up. In fact, margin allows you to amplify your profits. Instead of having $100,000 invested, you've got $150,000 invested. So your profits get amplified. So as long as prices keep going up and interest rates keep staying low, what's to worry? This is all a wonderful situation. And by the way, that's what the Fed says. The Federal Reserve says our economy is going to grow 6.5% this year. And the Fed says they're going to keep interest rates right where they are. So go ahead, borrow the money, invest in the market, go for it. What's the worst that could happen? Well, Europe might be an indicator of the worst. The Eurozone is in a double-dip recession. It fell into a recession in the first quarter of this year. That was after being in a recession last year in the midst of the pandemic. Could that happen here in the U.S.? The question really comes down to something very simple. Are you being compensated for the risks you're taking when investing in the stock market? There's a name for this on Wall Street. It's called the equity risk premium. We all know that there should be a greater reward in exchange for a greater risk. That's why investors are willing to take risk, because there's a bigger payout. The ultimate example of that, of course, is a lottery ticket. Why are you willing to gamble a dollar that you are pretty confident will prove worthless in a day? Because the dollar might turn into millions. It's a huge risk. The likelihood of 100% loss is extremely high, but there's also the potential for a huge reward. And that's why people are willing to buy lottery tickets. Same thing in the stock market. 
Now, the risk isn't as severe as the lottery is, but the reward isn't as great either. You're not going to get a million-dollar return in the stock market in a day, but you're not going to lose 100% of your money in a day either, are you? So, how much risk are you taking in exchange for how much reward might you earn? It's called the equity risk premium. Right now, the equity risk premium is at a 10-year low. Morgan Stanley says it's, quote, about as low as it can go, unquote, and says investors are no longer being compensated sufficiently for the risk of owning stocks. The head of U.S. Equity and Derivative Strategy at BNP Paribas says, quote, this is something that concerns me. We need to recognize that it's okay to take risks when investing, as long as the risks, A, are not excessive, and B, likely to produce results that you're seeking. And that's not the only number that's problematic. There's the CAPE ratio, cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio. The CAPE says that valuations in the stock market are at the highest level in 20 years. The S&P 500's forward price-to-earnings ratio, normally trading at about 18, is currently trading at 22. The higher that rating, the riskier stocks are. Now, not everybody feels this way. Goldman Sachs recently released a report disagreeing with a negative scenario, and so did UBS. In other words, Wall Street's conflicted. Wall Street isn't sure whether or not stock prices are too high and bound to fall, or whether stock prices are still a good deal with plenty of room to grow. You're going to have to make that decision yourself in conjunction with your financial advisor and an evaluation of your goals and objectives, risk tolerance, need for liquidity, and other aspects of your personal finances. And I can't end our conversation about the world of investing without paying tribute and acknowledgement to David Swenson. David Swenson passed away this past week, the age of 67, following his battle with cancer. David was the chief investment officer at Yale's endowment fund for many, many years. He's not a household name. You know, you probably are not familiar with the name David Swenson. He's not known like Warren Buffett or, or Peter Lynch or Jack Bogle. But inside the investment industry, David Swenson is widely considered the greatest of all time. He changed the course of institutional investing. He groomed dozens of portfolio managers who went on to run endowments of other universities and foundations, including MIT and Stanford. Jack Meyer, the former head of Harvard's endowment, said, quote, David was the first to recognize that diversification and patience can pay off. Andrew Golden, the head of Princeton's endowment, said, quote, 90% of my good ideas I've stolen from David and Yale. David Swenson made Yale University one of the wealthiest universities in the United States. The endowment now covers a third of Yale's operating budget. It pays for everything from faculty salaries to financial aid for more than half of Yale students. Swenson was also a big critic of Wall Street. He often blasted the excessive costs of mutual funds, and he complained frequently about the conflicts of interest that are pervasive on Wall Street. His record? For 35 years, his average annual return... 13.1% per year. A 60-40 portfolio during that same 35 years, only 8.8%. David Swenson trounced 
most everybody else. He created what is now known as the Yale Model, principles that he learned from Nobel laureate James Tobin, who in turn was building on work by Nobel laureate Harry Markowitz on the importance of diversification. The model calls for far greater exposure to far more volatile investments, but in the long run, which proved to be more profitable. It's common practice now, but it was sensational when Swenson started it. He unleashed a revolution into alternative investments, transforming the world of hedge funds, venture capital, and private equity with stellar investment results. The Yale University Endowment Fund now manages more than $31 billion and is unrivaled in its success. I'm a big disciple of David Swenson. I've written about him in my books and many of the investment management methodologies we use here at Edelman Financial Engines are in no small part attributable in principle to David Swenson and his groundbreaking research. David Swenson, dead at age 67. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Author of the number one national bestseller. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. We need to talk about taxes. I know you don't want to hear about it, and I don't want to talk about it. But you're wondering, what should you be doing with the coming tax law changes? How should your strategies be altered regarding your investments, your real estate, your retirement planning, and all the rest? Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but at the moment, I don't have anything to say. I can't give you any effective advice because we don't know what the new tax law is going to be. We know various vagaries offered by the president. We know Congress's initial reactions to this. But at the end, we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. We don't know what the new tax rates are going to be. We don't know which taxes are going to be rising, by how much they're going to be rising, on who, who's going to have to pay the new taxes. We don't even know when the new tax law is going to be effective. Will it be effective retroactively to January 1? Will it be based on the date the bill is introduced into Congress? Will it be the date the law is signed? Will it be this coming January 1 of 2022? We have no idea. And in the meantime, you want answers. Financial advisors around the country are being flooded with requests for help from investors. We're getting a lot of phone calls here at Edelman Financial Engines. I wish I was able to give you more specifics, but we simply don't know. The only thing we are pretty confident about is that big tax increases are coming. There are proposals for changes and creation of a wealth tax, changes and increases in capital gains taxes, income taxes, social security taxes, gift taxes, estate taxes, the elimination of the step-up in basis, no more 1031 exchanges or limitations on them, no more carried interest, no restoration of the SALT deduction. That's the deduction for state and local taxes. It's going to get ugly. That's the only thing we know because the government has spent trillions of dollars in the past year dealing with the pandemic. We've got trillions more in pending spending bills coming from the White House for infrastructure and other reasons. Government's going to have to pay for this somehow, and it's going to be 
trillions and trillions of dollars of additional taxes needed over the next decade or more to pay for all of this. So all we can tell you is to brace yourself, get ready for it, because chances are you're going to be affected in some way or other. And meanwhile, there's a certain amount of indignation in the marketplace. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen says if everybody paid their taxes that are currently due under current law, we would collect $7 trillion more than we're collecting over the next decade. That's probably enough to eliminate the need for any tax increases. The National Bureau of Economic Research says the wealthiest Americans fail to report 20% of their taxable income. So the tax cheats, we could argue, are a big part of the problem here. So instead of raising taxes, why don't we raise enforcement on tax compliance? It's a much bigger bang for the buck, don't you think? Remember, tax season, April 15th, well, it got extended to this Monday, May 17th. Grace period's over, so you've got to get your taxes done this weekend in the mail by Monday night, midnight, May 17th. Meanwhile, you might be having questions about your tax situation. Well, go ahead. Call the IRS. They offer a toll-free 800 telephone number. Good luck with that. The IRS says they answer only 2% of all the phone calls they get. One out of 50 people get the phone answered, and that's after an average wait time of 20 minutes. Goodness gracious. So, yeah, it's the government. It's the tax man, and they're here to help you. Time once again, everybody's favorite segment. Visit by my wife, Jean Edelman, founder here at Edelman Financial Engines and a degree in consumer economics, macrobiotic cooking expert, extraordinaire with a degree in nutrition as well. Jean, always good to have you back here. Hi, everyone. Great to be back and share with you this week. This week, my thoughts are about stepping back into our life and maybe redefining what's making us happy. My first thought is, we need to give ourselves a bit of grace. We're still in recovery mode from last year, and I think we will be for a little bit longer. So any goal that we have, it's important to take baby steps. Baby steps so we know that we're covering all the bases, and we're going to move forward in a safe manner. Also, we want to pay attention if our intuition is telling us, hey, maybe we're moving too fast and giving ourselves permission to slow down and reevaluate what we're trying to accomplish. The next thought was to reset. You know, there's really no reason to feel like we're behind on any pieces of our lives. We really don't need to make up for last year. Last year was last year. But we can step into each day with our new vision and our new goals. You know, the whole planet was affected by this pandemic, and we're not missing out on anything because we're all moving very slowly and coming out of our cocoon. So take our time. No rush. It's all good. I thought about our health. Are we paying attention to our health? Are we making time for ourselves? Are we moving? Are we walking during the day? And are we making better food choices? Purpose. I was thinking about purpose. This pandemic has absolutely given us an opportunity to reevaluate our purpose. What's making us happy? Do we even want to live where we're living? 
what do we want to make different in our life? We've experienced and seen how fragile we all are and how important our family and friends are. So it's easy to make these changes when we are redefining our purpose. Also, we want to renew our experiences. We did miss a lot last year, and we are really craving to be with family and friends. We are happy to be in good weather so that we can be outside. The concerts are going to kick back up, being outside for dinner. All of that is going to feel just glorious because we didn't do it for so long. We didn't have these experiences. So when we're having them, when it's something that we haven't done in a long time, just sit there and savor it because it's going to feel really good. I was also thinking about we need to just bask in who we are right now. All of our life experiences, all of our strengths. There's no looking back. There's no regrets. There's no fretting about the future. Just being who we are right now, feeling really good about that, feeling proud. We've done a great job. We're on the other side of this and life is good. And then it always brings me to finding that silver lining. You know, we are meant to have stumbles in our life because each of our stumbles has a lesson to teach us. These stumbles are there for us to grow and learn, and they also expose us to what's truly important to us. But the biggest thing is that we need to always look for the positive because there's always something to learn when we stumble a little. So our word of the week is very simple. It's just be. Just to be in our beauty, the B is beauty. And the E is for eternal. Everything we're doing, all the people in our lives, we make a difference. We have an impact on just our little world that we're in. So go out in your day, smile, be the best you can be, find that silver lining. When we stumble, don't worry about it. Pick ourselves up and move forward. Have a beautiful week, everyone. That was Gene Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for joining us on the program today. And there's a lot more to The Rick Edelman Show this week. You can listen to our podcast for additional stories, including about the new Bitcoin Cash and the IRS and the IRS versus Michael Jackson's estate. It's all in this week's podcast at rickedelman.com. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.